Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, back in the shed, and here we go. Can you believe it? Episode 37. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. 37 weeks in a row without missing a show. I mean, that's got to be some sort of record. Definitely it's for you and me, as we've never done this before. <laughs> but do you know what? When we started out, I don't think I had any preconception of where we might end up, and I think 37 is a good start. Yeah, it is a good start. Let's see how far we get. We've got to get to at least 52 now, though, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. It seems like a year. Feels like a good, good target at this point. A good target to reflect and assess where we are. I, I'm enjoying it very much so far, and I hope our listeners are too. Yeah, definitely. Ho- hopefully we are doing doing something for the greater good. The, the greater good. For those of you who didn't get it, that's a hot fuzz quote. Yeah, if you have to reference hot fuzz. If you don't get a hot fuzz quote, frankly, there's something wrong with you. Anyway, moving swiftly along, let's dive into follow-up. First item from you, I think. Yeah, so first up, hopefully we fixed our album art. It wasn't quite appearing properly in your podcast player of choice. Hope that's not all now resolved. I thought I fixed it, and then it didn't look like it's fixed, but some weeks, well, days later, it all started working. So happy days there. So if anybody's not seeing anything, do let me know. I think it's just an overcast that was the issue, because I tried it in Apple Podcasts, and it was fine. I wonder whether Apple do something different, and I wonder whether it's the other providers that use the feed. Anyway, it's all sorted. Happy days. It was a technical blip, hopefully, and it's all gone. Hopefully it now looks pretty in your podcast player of choice anyway. Second item of follow-up for me. Last week I talked about buying the Brodit ProClip stuff so I could mount a MagSafe connector in my van. It was said it was back-ordered. It was going to take weeks to come. It came on Tuesday. So I fitted that. Quite an odd long bit of metal to fit over the catch tray in the van. Went in fine. MagSafe connector came. A new PD-style USB charger. I put the links to them in the show notes last week. Very little problem to installed. One slight problem with my iPhone 13 Pro Max is that it was too big to fit vertically in the car. I, when I put it on the MagSafe connector, the position of the MagSafe connector moves the phone so far down the vent that it doesn't adhere on the magnet properly to the vent. First speed bump I came to, bang, off the phone went and was rolling around in the floor of the van. But that's easily fixed. I just put it into portrait instead of landscape. And great. Yeah, works fine. Doesn't come off. Charges nicely. I had a 15-minute drive to get a booster for my COVID status, which was nice. I wasn't, wasn't expecting it, but opportunity knocked, so I rushed to get it. And it must have added, I don't know, a good 10% charge to my phone in that period of time. So really impressed with that. Okay, so you bought a long piece of metal, you stuck in your car, you drove a bump and your phone fell off. Yep. Okay, just to summarize, I was just thought I'd summarize for a moment there. Thank you for cheapening my whole little anecdote there, Chris. But that's that's fine. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Okay, but but you know what though, and I bought things like this when it's like oh, it feels a bit overpriced. But sometimes the quality of life can be worth, definitely worth it. But you're pleased with it. Do you think it's going to work? I hope it's going to work. One thing I haven't tried. So the reason, if you remember, why I started doing this was would the dab radio work when it was when my phone was charging? Because before dab radio wouldn't work as soon as I plugged in with the lightning connector on the phone. So. I didn't try it because it was enamored of the fact my podcast was playing nicely while my phone was charging while I was driving. So I will try this week to make sure the dab radio works. But I think I think all is well now. I think I fixed that particular problem. Do you actually use the radio in your car? Now and then. Often when I run out of podcasts and I don't want to listen to an audiobook and I just want to, you know, 10 minutes from here to there. Occasionally on longer journeys to keep everybody happy, they don't want to listen to my podcasts. So... I need the radio then, and I find that Radio 2 is the path to harmonious lifestyle in the van, let's say. So Radio 2 on dab, if I'm going to have to listen to Bloomin' Steve, right? I suppose he's got to be in HD quality, but I could weld it without him in my life. But, you know, harmonious lifestyle. You know, I, I, I do bend to the wind. You could have saved this for the main show. 
because I must be completely honest, I forget my car has even got a radio. And it has a dab radio, it's probably the same as yours. And I saw my son using it the other day and I was just like, oh yeah, I forgot I've got a radio in this thing because I literally, I'm either in Apple Music, Audible or Overcast. And that's the three things you can listen to in my car when the family's there. You normally know, just put some tunes on. And I've been quite impressed with my children. I think I've mentioned their ages before, they're, you know, around 10. And we've been listening to David Bowie and things in the car and some Crowded House and some Beatles. You know, we've just got such an eclectic mix of stuff going on. I quite like that they're actually hopefully appreciating some of these well-known artists and bands and stuff, stuff that I enjoy, they're enjoying. And then we have one of their mates join us in the car. And because we've got Siri, that I usually ask their friends to give us a song to play. And it's amazing what some of them come out with. We've had Seal, we've had Bon Jovi and some other random stuff that I probably can't even remember. So there you go. That's how it works in our house. I quite like that. I used to do something similar. We'd play Siri Roulette in the van on the way up where you'd get one chance to make your song known as you were as you were driving, particularly on a long trip. And if it didn't work, it passed on to the next person. You'd miss your song out. So, you know, I've said before, asking Siri to play something like The Who, H-U, not W-H-O, doesn't always go very well and you miss your chance and it moves on. So, yeah, stuff like that's quite fun. I well, I was going to say, sometimes you ask Siri to play something that you think you've you've enunciated 100% correctly, and it still picks some random things. So it, roulette is quite a good word for it, I think. Yeah, I think it is, because who knows what you're going to get. There's probably a broader philosophical discussion there about surfacing new music, because I've been quite guilty recently, certainly in the last few years, of not listening to the radio, and I'd find lots of stuff either by bands I'd never listened to, or artists I did that they had some single released or an album released that I didn't know about. And you occasionally get that. And I've talked about Music Harbor before as a way of, you know, surfacing things. But what you don't get with services like that, and Apple Music is very bad, is surfacing bands you might like. And I think you, the radio is very good, particularly if you find a radio station that suits your musical taste, which Radio 2 doesn't, I very much hasten to add. But if you can find that, for me, it was Six Music, BBC Six Music, where that sort of indie side of things came along. And I fell out of the habit of listening when I wasn't commuting so much. So I do feel I'm missing that new music discovery that I used to have. Yeah, I would concur with that. I'm pretty good at picking up on new albums from bands or singles from bands that I like. But I would agree with you, Apple Music, I don't listen to a lot of new music in it. I think I would agree with that. Yeah, it kind of enforces a, here's the things we think you like based on what you've what you've played before. Or, as you say, somebody gets in the car and they've got a burning desire to listen to, I don't know, Dire Straits or something like that. And that's what comes on because that's what you're in the mood for. Or it's a podcast. So it is quite nice to remember you've got a radio. Find something you quite... And just sort of burn through it a little bit and see if it's sort of suggesting things, just to spice, thing, spice up your musical taste a bit. Yeah, no, I can see that. One time I did use the radio, we went to Silverstone, did the Lap of Lights, so they light up the track at Christmas last year, and you had to tune your radio into the, the radio frequency so you could listen to the commentary and stuff. And I just, like I said, it was just something I forgot my car even had, if you know what I mean. I was like, is there an app for that? You know, that's just what I expect. Speaking of that, I mean, it's interesting, you've got a HomePod as well, that I can ask my HomePod to play things like Absolute Radio and some of the commercial radio stations, Virgin Radio. But you ask it to play the BBC, and you you do need an app for that. You need BBC Sounds, and you need to stream it to your to your HomePods, and that feels a bit rubbish too. I suppose it's probably a licensing thing with the BBC. But why are the BBC so special? You know, I really don't understand why that is like it is. I, yeah, that one just seems bizarre to me. There's surely a better way of doing this. Yeah. Anyway, we've very much gone off follow up. There is one last section of follow up we got to talk about. I think. Our whole last show was named Chris has got to go and you know listen to ta uh, watch Taskmaster. Have you got follow up for that for us in the media section? 
I may or may not have some follow-up. That's why don't we cover that in media, is it? A cliffhanger. Oh, that's a tease. I quite like that. Good. All right, let's do that. Let's move on then. News and rumors. News and rumors. What have we got first? So first up, the iPhone 6 has been added to the vintage products list. Did you have an iPhone 6? Yes. You didn't? You don't plus, um, I think, no, I had a 6 Plus. I remember it. Now, what about you? I had a 6 Plus as well. I, I remember being very excited about the 6 Plus because it was the first time Apple had offered a phone in a bigger size. Uh, and it was a slightly odd thing. And I remember them marketing it as if you turned it into landscape, it would put the mail into a two-pane two view as opposed to just being straight up and down. And I was so excited to get my 6, 6 Plus. So I was in Birmingham with the family. I think we'd seen some friends. And I quickly pulled up, ran into an Apple store, bought a 6 Plus, walked back out, went home, set it up, happy days. I thought the landscape thing, this is the beginning of it. There's going to be loads more landscape stuff coming. And then Apple literally did nothing with it ever again. No, and it still does exactly the same this day. If you've got a Pro Max phone and you turn it, I think Mail is the only app that actually treats it as landscape. Yeah, well, do you know what? Some follow-up on that. So I've always gone from a Pro Max to a regular Pro, and I've not missed the Max, if I'm <laughs> honest. Because I still fit the same number of icons on the screen. You pull down Control Center, you go to your home screen. I And I was disappointed when I got the Pro Max. That it didn't allow me to have more on some of the screens. It wasn't you know, it didn't take advantage of the resolution. It's only really bad when you watch films and things on it. And I don't actually watch that much media on my on my phone. You know, I watch short clips on it and things. It's very rare. I watch like a TV show on it. So I've not missed the Max at all. And I definitely have not missed the weight in my pocket. So there's some minor pro follow-up. That's useful follow-up. It's good to know. I, I, I'm interested if I'd miss it. This feels a bit sad in a way. I did like my iPhone 6 because like I say, it did feel like an evolutionary change at the time when we got it. You know, that bigger screen size compared to what we'd come from with the iPhone 5, 5S, I think, in my case, although we did have a 5C in the house as well. So, and it was so thin and it was so light compared to today. And it was round. If you remember, the 5 and the 5S were squared off and the, and the iPhone 6 was the first rounded one of that generation. I do prefer the squared off phones because I did find the 6, the 7, a bit like a bar of soap. Yeah, it did have that feature. And it was the first phone to suffer from the bend gate thing as well, wasn't it? That People were sitting down with them in their back pockets and they were sort of bending into funny shapes. Was that a gate? I I heard about it, but it was never something I actually really witnessed, if I'm honest. No, I, mean, I think I was fairly delicate with my phone. Anyway, iPhone 6 added to the vintage list, joining the 2012 iPod Nano 7 and the fifth generation iPod Touch, all in the vintage list. It's mad when you mention it alongside an iPod Nano, if I'm honest. Yeah, this is a, t- a phone from 2014, so it's fair enough. Is that, well, okay. <laughs> That's a lot older than I gave it credit for. <laughs> it feels like yesterday. We are that old. Definitely. Shall we move on? Let's move on. So next story, and I think this is quite interesting, and particularly in the context of what you've just been talking about with your iPhone 14 uh, Pro, is that it appears the standard iPhone 14 has low demand right across the market, even compared to the iPhone 13 of last year. So our sort of mini overview of the iphone 14 is not that exciting really is it it seems like the rest of the market is is cottoned on to that as well yeah i'm not surprised by this at all it is a dull phone it hasn't got any of the new hotness they needed to have this year and get this year out of the way so that next year they can get back in the mold a friend at work's got one he gets four days of battery life out of it though i'm not sure he's a big iphone user but it's amazing the battery in it compared to mine that barely lasts half a day so i think that's the only thing it's got going for it yeah, I think we'd agree with that. It's 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 a very standard phone. And as we said at the time, if you're upgrading from a few models back, it might be a good thing. How do you get four days of battery life out of your phone? I mean, do you leave it on standby all the time? 
or don't use any of Meta's apps, maybe? Well, I don't use any of Meta's apps and, you know. Me neither. I was amazed because we both bought phones at the same time. They're both roughly the same size screens and ergo you'd have thought battery. But my battery is, I mean, I'm on 64%, but it's been charging my car for two hours while I've been driving today. The batteries are horrendous in the Pro. So they're obviously doing something right with the battery on it, or there is a bug in the OS, I would suggest. I think there's a bug in the OS. And it made me think of that time, I think it was with iOS 3, just before the App Store came along, that they pushed an update to iOS 3, and suddenly the battery seemed like 50 or 60% better, just like overnight in one of the software updates. And this one, it's been the reverse. I've noticed a knock in my iPhone 13. I've been speaking to other people who've been running iOS 16 and they're experiencing the same thing. They think their battery sort of 10 to 12% worse and it seems even worse on the iPhone 14s. So it just seems, I don't know what's going on there. I am tempted to install the beta just to try it out, but I'm also tempted not to install the beta. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Didn't the App Store come out for iOS 2 though? Was it iOS 2? Maybe it was like... Because it was literally like a year later. Yeah, it, it was a point update. It went from having really rubbishy battery life. They released this point update. And it's it's lost in the mist of time in my memory now, but I just remember it getting dramatically better. Yeah, I, I, we've had various software releases like that, haven't we, where it absolutely kills the battery. And then, oh, it's, it's all fixed again. Yeah, so interesting. Anyway, a bit of a shame for the iPhone 14, maybe not surprising. On the flip side, the iPhone 14 Pro and the Pro Max seem to be getting all the demand. So whether that's or people just want the better phone, or they just expect to pay for the more expensive one, or it's the more exciting product, so everybody's just going to that because of the dynamic island and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm sure Apple are quite happily taking more money for the phones if they're selling about the same amount. It's got to be the more exciting product, hasn't it? It's got dynamic island, it's got the always on screen, and it's got the amazing camera. So it's got three real big differentiators this year. Yeah, just a slightly shoddy battery life to get over, and it'll be a great product. But but you can buy a MagSafe charger from them at the same time. So you give them even more money, that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You okay. just need to factor that into the cost. Just keep throwing the money at them and all will be well. Should we move on? Let's move on, I think. And this next one is probably the best one for you to report on, actually. And it's two stories in one. So Stage Manager is coming to older iPads. Shock horror. We were talking about that right when the, when the, iOS, when the iPad OS beta dropped. And they've stopped supporting extended screen support. Do you want to tell us about this? I'm annoyed with this on both counts. One, why have they spent the engineering time to make it work on older iPads right now when they could have said, yes, we hear you, we'll do it in the future once we've actually got Stage Manager working. If Stage Manager was amazing and it was getting rave reviews, fair enough, spend the engineering time. I completely agree with it conceptually, but why would you do it when it's a steaming pile of buggy mess? So really cheesed off with that. And the fact they've stopped the extended screen supports really annoyed me because I had actually got really used to using it and had quite a successful workflow setup in my office, both in my shed and in my office at work. And it's going to come back, but it's annoying they've taken it out. Surely if you're on the developer beta, leave it turned on, let developers have a play with it and give you some feedback on it rather than remove it completely. I think they should have taken out the public betas and the release build. I agree with that. And I think what you and I did discuss a while ago that they should stagger the release of, of all these updates to the iPad. They should have done 16.0 Here's the more display support where you can fit more detail on the screen. Then 16.1 could have been his stage manager. And then 16.2 could be his extended monitor support. That would have been a much better way of, I think, of staggering it out in a much smoother launch. And they should definitely slap the word beta next to stage manager. But very frustrating they've taken it away at this late stage. We're on the 10th beta. And there's an awesome bug in this one. If for any reason the mouse stops working, you have to click on the edge of the window 
and then the mouse will start working again when you click with inside the window. It's a very odd bug, but it's so buggy. The fundamentals just aren't there yet. And I don't know, it's it's very bizarre. They've pulled extended screen support at literally the 11th hour at this point, but it, but it now work on your older, slower iPad. Well, it's really weird because thinking back, they said they couldn't put stage manager on older iPads because they didn't have enough RAM effectively. You know, the, the chips might be fast enough, but there wasn't enough headroom for them in RAM to keep all those applications in memory. And they've added that in. And as to everything I've read suggests there is absolutely no issue with running multiple apps on older iPads on the on the, on the E12 series processors. I think what did them in there is the M1 iPad Air with 128 gig of storage is basically not got enough RAM anyway and was crippled. So if they could make it work on that, it just seemed like they picked M1 as a nice clean cutover. Yeah, it just it looks a bit suspicious to me that they've gone back on that. And it works just as well on older iPads as it does on the new hotness M1s. And then you've got the other part of that, which is we know how good the M1 chip is. I'm speaking to you on a laptop with an M1 chip on it, and it's driving a 16-inch display and a 32-inch widescreen. And I could I, I could chain two more displays off if I wanted. Fair enough, your iPad doesn't have the I.O. But it's basically the same chip. So we know it can support external displays. You've had it plugged into a very large external display and able to do things on it over the course of the beta. And to rip it out at this stage, I think that's swinging. I don't think it's a great move. I don't think any of this is a great move. They they clearly had a vision for Stage Manager and they've not delivered on it at all. And it feels very late in the day. I mean, we're already in October now. Is this going to come out in a couple of weeks' time? Could be a Christmas present. I, I just want them to keep doing what they're doing. I love Stage Manager. I just want it to be less buggy and I'll be very happy with it. I've got loads more out of my iPad with it. I want it to carry on, but it's annoying they've taken a few bits away and slightly changed tack. Just make what you've got really solid. That's what you need to do. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Stage Manager is the first time when they put this on an iPad, I've thought, not that I've used it on an iPad, but from the feedback you've given me and the reading I've done, it turns your iPad actually into a computer. You know, it was kind of a computer before, but I could see myself using it as a computer a bit more with this kind of support. This Taking this away is is turning it back into a far more constrained device again, and that doesn't seem right. No, I've really felt the pain of it because I've been using it with my video conferencing app on the iPad screen and then on my 27-inch studio display i've got all my work on the go and it's been a great setup really enjoyed it it has been buggy but it's much better than not having it so it's clearly the right thing for what i need i just need them to keep iterating on it Mm. when i look at people's feedback on on twitter particularly federico vatici and uh, steve troughton smith they are they're seeing the bugs you're seeing and then i I think i talked about this this last week there still isn't in the Xcode build environment, there still isn't a simulator for stage manager. So how are developers meant, in 10 betas as you've said, how are developers meant to make sure their apps are tuned for this if they don't have iPads, if they can't test it without having to deploy it to a real device every time? This doesn't feel very well thought through. I'd agree with that. And is there a reason why it's not been put in the simulator? It feels very odd. I've been a bit annoyed on the developer story with the iPad anyway, because there's no Swift Playgrounds for iPad OS 16 yet we're still using the last year's one so we can't even try out any of the new stuff and it's a bit annoying that they made such a hoo-ha about it last year took them a long time to deliver it and they've not iterated on it so I, I'm hoping there's a better story to come with the iPad I was hoping for some pro apps by now but who knows well I'm a fairly rubbish developer as you know well and I came across a bizarre bug in the Xcode beta this week. My little app, which is a cognitive app, you've had a little go of it in the past as well, I know. Thank you for your help with that. Very simple thing within it to, if you were to generate a, a six-digit integer for somebody to use, I put a little button in, tap to, cha- tap to generate, and it would insert into a text field, the Swift UI. And 
it gives an alert in Xcode to say, you're not allowed to update the display. You think, hang about. Surely you'd be able to update with new information that's on the screen. Almost every app I think of can do this. And just continual alerts and warning. It works fine. And once you actually build to a device, the alert goes away. I just thought that's a really weird bug to have so late in the development you know, of, of this version of Xcode. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's not good, is it? I must confess, I've barely used my Mac this year. I was even debating, do I get rid of my Mac? Well, with everything the iPad was doing for you, I completely understand why you'd think that because with the extended display to support and everything that was going right up to a very short time ago with the iPad story, I can understand why. I mean, it's a credible computer, as I said a minute ago. To take this stuff away is, again, you know, there may have been other people in the same sort of situation as you. If you could build stuff with Swift Playgrounds on your iPad, if you could do the bits and pieces, if you could scratch those itches using your iPad, why do you need the Mac sitting in the corner somewhere if it's not your primary computing device? But again, I think you're going to have to think twice about that now, and you might want to keep that Mac around because who knows what they're going to pull out. And exactly that. I'm keeping the Mac for a bit longer. It's a very cheap M1 Mac Mini, and it's using an old screen. So I've got it just in case I want it, but I don't. I'm frustrated because I want, I actually want to have less devices, and I'll probably cover that a little bit in the main show. Anyway, we better move on. That's enough of my iPad <laughs> complaints, as I'm probably the only person that's gutted about Stage Manager. I don't think you are, again, based on Twitter. Anyway, moving on. A very quick story next. Um, we talked about it a lot a few months back, and that was tap to pay on the phone. So if you were a vendor and you didn't have a, a Square payment device or something, to take payments on your phone rather than tap to sell them has now been launched officially. Square have launched their app on tap to, uh, to, tap to pay on iPhone, and there's a process to go through that. Links in the show notes. Uh, I don't think there's an awful lot to be said about it other than it works. By all means, go and, uh, go and read about it, and well done, they finally brought it to iPhone. Yeah, no, I think this is good because a lot of people complain that the puck doesn't always Bluetooth to the phone and all that, and it hopefully just removes that need for that piece of hardware. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, as long as they don't take too much in the way of cuts, and I think Square are quite good at not taking too much in the way of cuts. Who knows what Apple will do? Is It's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Good. The next tranche of stories are all yours. Uh, well, I just thought this was interesting. So i'm not the biggest amazon fan in the world but I, I think i'm coming across as one so amazon have their event and i don't usually watch the amazon events but i was just interested by some of the output of said event so first up they brought out a new kindle scribe and sorry i should just probably cover that amazon when they release stuff they release like a whole plethora of stuff across many different areas all their different product sets and they managed to bring it all together into one huge release so it's quite a you know, big chunky release from, from various brands they've got. So first up, the one that caught my eye was the new Kindle Scribe, and it comes with a pen, and you can write on it. It's still a black and white ink screen. It looks very much like a Kindle Oasis. And I thought it looked quite interesting. I thought, great, good note, note-taking device. It looks fantastic. I really like the e-ink screens that Kindle do. They've And they've clearly been investing in the Kindle OS lately. It's been moving on leaps and bounds. It looks great. It's 300 DPI, which I think is good. And they've been thought about that standard for a long time now but it's a 10.2 inch screen which i thought was a bit big for a note-taking device if i'm honest i don't know what, don't know what your thoughts were it seemed a bit big for a kindle because that's roughly the size of a normal ipad and it's to me it's in big for kindle and a bit big for what could be a nice little pocketable note-taking device yeah it's i don't know i, I carry the larger ipad i think you're on, you're on a 9.7 inch one so i carry the large one so i'm not that bothered about the size it just all adds to the side, you know, the weight and, and the carry when you do carry. So I've got the larger iPad, I've got the pencil stuck to the side of it, and then it's inside of the what's it called? Smart folio. Is that what the chunky one's called? Magic keyboard. Magic keyboard. 
And honestly, it more than doubles by the time you put the Magic Keyboard on. And it's not a light device anyway. And it weighs more, I think, with all that than my laptop. So anything, if I, if I was a better note taker, I, I wouldn't mind the extra screen size. And I think you're a better pen note taker than I am. So I can kind of see why it'd be more appealing. I suspect it's probably thinner and lighter than than you know than the iPad, but then it's not got quite as nice a screen. You know, it's lacking some things. It's in the Amazon ecosystem, which I can very well do without, exception of of standard Kindles to read books. This isn't the first time they've done this. If I recall correctly, there was a Kindle HD device back in the day that certainly had a keyboard that was designed for note taking. It didn't have the pen pencil side of it to scribe notes on the screen, but they tried something similar for reading textbooks back in the day. Yeah, I really like the look of this. It looks a lot like the Remarkable 2, which I was toying with. Should I get one of those? I think it looks great. It comes out at the end of November. It, you can do on Amazon site as well. If you want to buy one, you can do where you pay for it in five equal installments, which is fantastic. They've got that in place. But I, th I think for me, it's just another device. And it's probably a bit bigger than I would like. I quite like the idea that I have a debt a dedicated note-taking device without any distractions and notifications and like you leave your laptop behind but i thought it looked good they've got two different pens they've got a basic pen and, and then it's like more expensive one with an eraser comes in three sizes 16 gig 32 gig 64 gig i can't imagine you'd actually need one with a lot of storage on it for black and white notes that you probably would just offload but i was part of me wants to try it and then could always return it to amazon because their returns policy is quite good but i just don't think i've got space in my bag for another big device so i was yeah a little disappointed with it but interesting to see they go in there and i wonder would they actually do more of a paper white size one further down the line so i think that'd be too small what, what's a paper white it's like a six inch screen maybe a little bit less than that well but it's like your ipad mini which i do have a spare one at the moment which i've just wiped because i've i wasn't using it because my ipad was taking over my main ipad and and that's just quite a good 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 size but i don't know i think it's an interesting device it's interesting they're going to chase the remarkable size devices they must think there's a big enough market there people like to make notes i mean i'm, I'm looking at the picture on the link which is in the show notes and the form factor of the device is just like a big Kindle, with the exception that the left-hand side of it, certainly the picture that they're showing, has a lot of space, which you can rest your thumb on when you're going to go and make notes. Not great for us left-handed people, folks. Does that work if you flip it around the other way around? You know, I'm sure that it probably does. There's enough left-handed people in the world that they've got to think about it. But, yeah, but, you know, for me, when I've got an iPad, if I'm going to make notes or not, and I might, we might talk about this a little bit later in the main show, I'm generally annotating something rather than just making notes from scratch. And I occasionally make notes from scratch, but I don't pick up the pen to do it because I'm a faster typist. So if I'm annotating, I want great PDF support. I want to tap on an area of it and I say, correct this, or, you know, this is wrong, or look at your statistics there, or whatever it is that I'm doing. And I don't know. I mean, I need to try it to see the support of it. But yeah, interesting device. I suppose it's fair to say interesting device. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we move on to some other devices? So they've also got a new Echo Dot out, which they look quite nice devices, I think, to be fair. But what I thought was interesting is the Echo Dots now. You can have them as Wi-Fi extenders in your house for the Eero system, which somebody like me, that would be ideal. I've got smart speakers. I use Eero. It'd be great to have some repeaters around the house. So it's interesting now sort of blurring the lines between their Eero product base and their Echo, Echo Space, which I think is quite good. So hang on. You've said to me before, one of the things you liked about your Eeros is that Amazon haven't fiddled with it much. 
and now they're kind of integrating it with a smart speaker, which I suppose is great if you're in the that particular ecosystem that you like you're making use of the of can I say Alexa without setting it off? Sorry, you've got an Alexa and I've said it all, I've said it twice now. With your dingus and, and, and done that. That seems like the kind of forcing those things together. What if you're happy with the Euro and you don't want them? You continue to buy the Euro things, or do you think that sort of market penetration will continue to the point where you'll just buy echo devices and you won't need your Euro anymore? No, I think the Euro piece will still carry on because they've also released, and I think this is where they're trying to get into the ubiquity stuff that you've got. They've also released like a wires only device, which would be ideal for me, put it in my garage, plug plug it into the internet and then plug it into my internal house network. And they've actually now gone that route as well of having more of a mini server room device. And then they've also got schemes where you can sign up to be an installer or a business and use the Eero stuff. So they're clearly trying to now branch from just being a consumer level device into more of the small business space. So I do think Eero is going to carry on. I just see the echo piece as additive. What I'm pleased that Amazon haven't done is they haven't messed around with Eero too much. It's still Eero and it's core, if that makes sense. And it's not Amazon forcing you into everything else. So I, I think they're doing a good job with it. I think it's good to see in the Kindles. I probably wouldn't buy a Kindle. I want my devices to connect, not to an extender, but to an Etherneted in hotspot, access point, whatever you call it. So it's not for me, but I can see where they're going with it. Because for most people, that'd probably be fine. Yeah, I guess. So. I mean, I'm I'm not sure about Eero's ability to fit into the enterprise in the same way that Ubiquity or, <clears throat> excuse me, or Oracle or something would be as a, well, I'm not a professional in any way, Shipman, or a form of fitting networking equipment. I don't think I'd want an Amazon or a Google in the server room at that kind of level, even if it is with Eero and all the rest of it. And I understand that, you know, not everybody has the same reservations about the company that I do, but I know the customer service that you know, Ubiquity have had over the over the years and the software updates and, and the way they support things and VLANs and all the professional features that you'd want as part of that sort of enterprise rollout that I like to play with in, in my home environment. But I feel that's very different to the offer that Eero is because Eero is very much plug in, plug plug it in and off you go. You know, you don't need to worry about that. If you really want to dig away with it, you probably can set up. Have you ever set up a VLAN on your network? No, but you can, I believe. Okay. How many? Is it enough? You know, all, all that kind of stuff that, you know, an enterprise user is going to want, you know, home, home to home VPN, site to site VPN, all that kind of stuff that, again, an enterprise is going to, if you've got multiple offices around the place, can you do that with your own? No, I would imagine where the market they're going for is a small business. I, I mean, if I was setting up a small office today with, I don't know, maybe it was a business with 10 people in it and we're all working in one office. Why wouldn't you stick them in? Very simple networking. You don't need an administrator. You just install it and it's low maintenance. But I think the sort of businesses you're talking about where you, you would have proper networking, this isn't that. This is that that prosumer market slash very, you know, startup sort of market of a small business. It is not going into a big enterprise. And maybe they, they will, but they've got a long way to go, I'd suggest. Yeah, it makes me very uncomfortable, that. Anyway, okay, mo moving swiftly along. I think that's it for news, is it? I haven't missed anything. Well, no, no, yet. I was just going to cover one more item. Okay. Sorry. But I just thought this was interesting, and possibly not for me, but they've released a pair of high-end 4K Fire TVs, which I thought was interesting. They've taken their Fire branding, their, I guess it's going to be linked with their Prime, you know, their Video Prime branding, and they've made a TV out of it. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of what Sky have done recently with Sky Glass, where you don't get a Sky box, you just buy a TV, you don't need a dish, and it will all stream. I just thought it was interesting to get into the TV market as well, and they're 65 and 76-inch TV, so not not small. 
No, not at all. That is interesting. And I guess it's a logical thing to do. It's what a lot of Apple fans were hoping Apple would do for a, lot, a long time, actually, was build an a- actual Apple TV, isn't it? With all the, all the guts built into it and a nice screen, etc., etc. So, yeah, I, it's a logical move to make, I guess. Speaking, changing the subject very slightly, speaking of Apple and Amazon, my Prime app on my Apple TV almost doesn't work anymore. Whenever I click Prime, it just thinks about it for a while and says network connection failed. I don't know what's going on there. You know, it's all in the right hardware. I've got an Amazon Prime subscription. It makes me go to my TV and watch it on my LG app, which is fine because it looks very nice on that too. Just slightly odd. I don't know what to say. The only thing I'd recommend is go to the App Store and find the app and see if it's downloaded the latest version because sometimes you go in the App Store on the TV, on Apple TV and it hasn't downloaded the recent one. Check for a TVOS update and give it a reboot. They're probably the three things I would do. I'm not seeing the problem you've got. I did the reboot straight away. It's the first thing I try. You, you can't take the IT guy out of it. Turn it off and on again. That's what I do. I was just about to say, that's that's the three-year degree we all did at, at, at the university. Kicking <laughs> in there. Absolutely. I, I learned the fundamentals. Come on. <laughs> that's the one-on-one, isn't it? But no, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, the three things we've talked about, and there's loads more they've released, are, you know, we've talked about a new TV. We've talked about a new Kindle. And we've gone into a little bit of networking detail. It's amazing just the sheer range of stuff they present in one event. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, they're an interesting company. They do many things. You know, if you think we've talked about Audible a few times on this show, you know, they're in networking. They've got home security. They've got obviously the the Amazon store. First thing, whenever I bought a book all those years ago from Amazon. And then, you know, you can't watch the tennis on the TV without, you know, something being done by Amazon Web Services for the the timing i think they do something in formula one as well did they did, yeah yeah powered by formula one when it works out how many seconds until the car is going to catch the next car yeah I mean, and amazon web services is a huge deal in terms of networking and backbones for lots of things out there so i mean it, it truly is a a multinational corporation in sort of the oldest sense of the world if you think of like a, a hyundai or something like that and or a, a samsung on the amount of devices and network services and routers and edge access and all the things fridges that they make Amazon's sort of getting into that market, isn't it? You know, they've got a whole range of things that they make. Yeah, and they do throw a lot of mud at the wall to see what sticks. And then they they chase it down like they've done with Kindle. They've kept Eero going. And I think some of it's been very successful. I love my Kindle. I love my Eero's. I do use a lot more Amazon than I think I give it credit for, if you know what I mean. I wouldn't say I'm a pro Amazon person, but then I buy all my books, audio books and reading books through them. I watch quite a bit on Prime Video from time to time, especially with the children. I also use Eero for my networking and I order 90% of the stuff that comes to my house probably comes from that website. So quite interesting how actually ingrained I am in Amazon. Yeah, I'm probably fairly similar. I've got my Prime subscription, all the rest of it. I do try and make a conscious effort to buy things from local stores where I can these days just to make a bit of an effort where I'm not throwing all this money at Amazon. I think I could be better in that way. I had there. Are, there is an article somewhere, and I'll try and find it. I'm not promising to find it for the show notes about people that have tried to de-Amazon their lives so they won't visit websites with AWS backends. It makes life very difficult. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. How do you even know if it's got an Amazon backend? I think there are ways ways of finding out, but yeah, it's it's a very difficult thing to do. Anyway, I feel like we're going off topic a little bit. Interesting, they've got new devices. There's a few that make me slightly uncomfortable, but that's fine. You know, I think the Kindle products are generally good. I'm sure this will be quite a good device. Feels a bit niche, to be honest, but we'll see how it get, how it develops. Even for you as a note taker, you're thinking it's a bit big for sort of what you want it for. But again, you know, if you're in that sort of world, I'm sure you might come around and consider it at some point. Like you say, they've got good returns. You could have a go for a week and send it back. You're not helping. Should we move on? Let's move on quickly. So onto media. You watched a film. 
I did. So I went and watched The Greatest Beer Runner Ever. because so I thought, looked an interesting concept. I love a film based on a true, true life scenario, instant event, whatever it may be. I watched it and I started watching it. For whatever reason, I went and looked at Wiki, Wikipedia that is, and I realised it didn't score terribly well on Wikipedia on the ratings. And then I started, watched a bit more and I've watched all the way to the end. It was okay. It was great to see Russell Crowe. I haven't seen him in a film for ages and I used to quite like a bit of Russell Crowe. He's a big lad, by the way. A couple of things I did notice though. It's those guys taking a bag of beer from America over to Vietnam to give his, his mates in the war a beer and cheer them up. The bag looked very light for somebody that's carrying a whole bag of beer. That that should be heavy. And the way they kind of thrown around, I thought, considering that's like the key prop, a bit disappointing. And some of the sets just look rubbish to me. They just look like they chucked some sandbags on the side of a key and some warehousing to try and dress it up. And it was just a bit disappointing. So I was just, yeah, I didn't really get into it. I watched all the way through. I'm not going to watch it again. It wasn't a great Apple TV Plus film. It did not have... For me, the Apple TV Plus glitz and glam that we've discussed. The director, though, I didn't realize, I recognize the name, this guy, Peter, I'm going to mangle his last name, Peter Farrelly. He did Dumb and Dumber. He also did Green Book very recently, which I did enjoy, which was, oh, I can't think who played in it now, but the, it was about a, a, a white guy driving a black man around in the in the south of America. Masharala Ali, I think it is it, Masharala. Oh, God. He's playing, oh, Blade. He's playing Blade. He's playing Blade now. Oh, is that right? But he was fantastic in that film and the direction was fantastic and the film was great. And just to see some of the films this guy's done and then he's now made this greatest beer run, just in my view, was very disappointing. I wouldn't recommend, which is a shame because I really wanted it to be good because I wanted to recommend a, mo- a film for you to go and watch rather than a TV series that you <laughs> that I know you know and love. I would contend that Apple haven't really got films nailed down. I know they won the Oscar for Coda, but I didn't think the Tom Hanks a Greyhound, was it? was all that either, particularly. That one's different, though, because that was just one they bought at the 11th hour. Yeah. But again, we're not talking about Apple films on here an awful lot, are we? We're talking about the TV shows. We're talking about, you know, Foundation, and we're talking about Ted Lasso, and we're talking about Bad Sisters. We're not really going through the films in the same sort of way. No, and and that's why I'm gutted. Anyway, don't watch it. It was rubbish. And one thing I did note, though, just as I press play, it did pop up in the top left and and had the 15 logo that we have here in the UK. And I just don't think I'd seen that anywhere else before. So I just thought I'd mention that. I didn't know if that was new to this film or new to TVOS, but it was just interesting to actually show the age rating, which I think is good. Now you're saying that, I've noticed a few things playing on, on my Apple TV that have got that just top left corner, 15 and, you know, violence and sex references or whatever is the particular phrase that comes across as, as part of that. So maybe it is an Apple TV thing. Yeah, I don't know. I just haven't seen it before, so I just thought I'd mention that. So moving on then, I then saw a trailer for Raymond and Ray, which is a film with Ewan McGregor, and I'm having a mind blank on the other gentleman's name. I could picture him in Train Day. Hunt, is it? Eth- yes, Ethan Hawke. Thank Ethan you. Hawk. And that, that looked quite interesting, so I'm going to give Apple TV Plus film another go and, and see what that looks like. Fair enough. Ethan Hawke is everywhere at the moment. I've seen him in three or four things recently, including in The Northman, which I think I did review a couple of weeks back, which is sort of the big Viking epic. He plays sort of the king in that, without giving spoilers, where he's murdered really near the start. That's not a spoiler, believe me. It's in about the first three minutes of the film. Yeah, he's an interesting actor, Ethan Hawke. And he was in a Marvel TV show as well. He was in Moon Knight also. So he's having a bit of a resurgence, I think. Yeah, he's pro- very uh, prolific, I'd say. I wouldn't expect him to be in an, like an Icelandic or Norwegian, I can't remember what you said, Viking film, in that 
it doesn't strike me as having the right sort of stature for that but there you go but i think he's great i'm quite looking forward to that and i do like you mcgregor so i'm gonna try raymond and ray and if that tanks then i think i'm done with watching films on apple tv plus whilst we're talking about apple tv plus films though, one film i did enjoy and i don't know if you've seen it was the banker which i thought was very well done it was about uh some black black gentlemen in america run basically running a bank which at the time was not the done thing and it had to everything should be done by a white man and, and a black person couldn't own property and all these things all these horrible things and it was a great film i thought it was fantastic and again based on the true story i would recommend at the banker unreservedly i i find it very interesting i will look out for it taskmaster right, ne- next up taskmaster so my homework was to watch taskmaster which you reminded me of last night and i thought oh have i got time to sink into something and i looked at it and i thought 45 minutes yes i have all four in the UK and I pay the 40 pounds a year to not have adverts. So it's 45 minutes door to door. Brilliant. I sat down, I watched it. I thought I would watch 20 minutes of it and finish it off today. And I loved it. I watched all the way through, really enjoyed it. It was very good. I liked all the people in it. I love a lot of the British comedians that featured in it. So I thought it was great. Fantastic. Big thumbs up. We'll recommend and would happily go back and probably put on another series and see what I'd be missing. Cause I think this is series 14. 14 has just come out in the UK, yeah. Yeah. So this was series 14, episode one. How many episodes are in the series, do you know? Well, it gets longer throughout the life of it. So I think it starts off, there's only four or six, and it stays like that for a couple of seasons, and then it goes up to eight. It's currently 10, 10 episodes per season. Okay, so they've clearly realised they were onto something and made it longer. And it jumped from being on Dave in the UK to being on Channel 4 proper. When I think Channel 4 realised what an immense property this was, I think it made Dave for a lot of years. It was the prime reason it go Dave, because the concept just works. All, and the other clever thing about it is the comedians, the five comedians that are on it, they never have them back again. They're there for a season and they, and they move on. So you get five new people every time. And every single time you think they're the best crowd of comedians that they've ever had. Uh, and, and just looking at the people I've had on it over the years, I think it's uh, Frank Skinner, I think is probably the biggest name in that. Ramesh Ranganathan is in it as well, who wasn't quite such a big name in, when, when season one dropped. He is obviously huge now, but they've always got that. They've got up and comers, they've got established comedians, they've got people that are maybe more towards, not the sunset of their careers, but maybe just not quite as popular as they used to be, but are still big names. And they keep that going all the way through it. It's a tremendous show. Well, I've never seen this one and they've got five very diverse comedians, I'd say. It's brilliant. They've, they've got different ages, different sexes. Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. I think it works really well. So I'm looking forward to the next week's and it, it should now appear in my Apple TV queue. That's great. I'm glad you've gone all the way back to the start and I'm on my second or third watch through right from the beginning again. It doesn't get old. I know I remember from back in the day, you quite like to have something on in the corner while you're working. Taskmaster fits the bill perfectly for that. Although I bet you find yourself watching it more than doing the work. Do you know what? I was thinking the same. I thought this would be brilliant when I'm doing my budgets at work or making some presentations. Just have so- I like to just have something on when I'm at home on my own. So I can see me doing that. So now I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to invest in some more of these. Yeah, good for you. And the new season started this week, as I mentioned, and they've got Sarah Millican and Dara O'Brien are the, probably the best known comics that are in it. Excellent. Very funny. Immediately just as funny as the last season again. And I've settled into having five new comics again. It's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. So my only other little bit of follow-up is I've continued to watch Andor. One more episode of that came out. That's uh, four episodes of that that's now available. Stellan Skarsgård has appeared in this one, who's a fantastic actor. Always high value in Chernobyl. He's been in Marvel films. He was, he was Bill in the ABBA movies. Not the ABBA movies, what they called. Mamma Mia and the, and the follow-up. Terrific actor. Really good in this. Nice to see him in Star Wars. Bit unusual. Staying grounded. Very impressed with it. 
very different to a lot of the Star Wars TV movies that have come before. But I think, you know, Star Wars needs a bit of spy stuff, I think. It's, it's working quite well with that. So very good. Yeah, it's on my radar. I just I haven't got to it. So maybe, maybe I can make an indent later this week. Do Taskmaster first. Anyway, anything else for media, Chris? No, that's me. Done. Moving on. Games. Games. So I think I'm first up. So I've actually gone and bought Call of Duty Vanguard. I quite like a Call of Duty game. I like doing the campaigns. I know I'm probably the only person in the world that buys a Call of Duty game just to do the single player. But it's on sale in the UK on the PlayStation. So I picked it up for 35 quid. It looks stunning. I, I do like a bit of the uh, cinema of it all. I don't want to watch the 20-minute videos where we have some story. I don't care about the story, if I'm honest. I just want to play the game. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I kind of wanted it because it was World War II themed, which reminds me of Call of Duty I used to play, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago on my Nintendo Wii. So I'm quite happy with my purchase there. My son really wants to play it, but he's only eight. So and I said I'm not sure he should just yet. Call of Duty was in the Nintendo Wii? I believe so. I, I did need to fact check this now. I did not know that. I mean, Call of Duty... Again, I was probably the only person that bought that as well. So as it happens, I've got Call of Duty Vanguard as well. I only bought it so I could level up my guns faster in Modern Warfare, though. That was the only reason. I've never played the campaign. I've only played the military. <laughs> so, I'd, like I said, I think I'm literally the only person in the world that's bought it for this one reason. And that's that. But I'm quite happy with it. So what are you going to do? Well... There you go. You can play some multiplayer with me. I also have it on PS5, so maybe we'll have to uh, meet up one day and enjoy some carnage on that. Fair enough. Good. I'm glad you got it. Uh, I don't think it's the best received Call of Duty game in the world. It kind of died to death. I'm not surprised it's on sale, frankly. But if you enjoy the the campaign, knock yourself out. Yeah, I quite like it because the campaigns aren't too long. It's actually achievable for me to complete it. I do get put off a game when you go, oh, you've got to sink 60 hours into it and you and you might get near the credits. I want a game that I can actually complete. So they go, oh, so just to follow up, Call of Duty 3 was on the Wii U and that's the one I remember playing and I quite enjoyed it. And you could use the Wiimote to lob grenades and things and it was kind of cool. Wow. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm impressed. It wasn't the Wii, it was the Wii U. That's that's fair enough. I would have thought... I would have... I, no, no, no. So, sorry. It was the Wii. It was the Wii. Wii. Apologies. Okay. That's my mistake. I never had a Wii U. Sorry. <laughs> I've got a Wii U. It's gathering dust in a drawer somewhere. Moving on. It's Speaking about games you might not feel you've got to sink lots and lots of times into, I have been playing The Outer Wilds a little bit on my Steam Deck. So it's quite nice to get the Steam Deck out again. It's a game I got in some sale somewhere that's been inhabiting in my, my Steam library for a while and I finally got around to playing it. It's got quite an interesting mechanic where you're caught in the time loop and the universe gets destroyed every 22 minutes. So you've got 22 minutes to get in your little spaceship, go and explore the solar system around around you, figure out what's going on. And it's just a bunch of puzzles then as to what's actually happening. Why are you caught in this time loop? Do you, you know you know what's happened last time? There's some puzzles within it that only can happen at the end of your time loop or right at the beginning of your time loop. It's extremely well done. It's sort of a 3D engine. There's not a lot of violence other than the universe getting destroyed. Or you can crash into an asteroid or something like that. But it's all very sweetly done. It's very highly rated. If you look at Metacritic, I've put the, the reviews on Metacritic for it. It's a very well-regarded game. I think it was 2016 it came out. It's built on the Unreal Engine. It's it's neat. It's very, very well done. Good physics in it. Controlling spaceships with your controller is definitely preferable to trying it with your mouse. I'd recommend if you've got a chance and you've got something compatible with playing it, check it. I've just got too much to do, haven't I? <laughs> Every week I seem to get the most homework. Well... You know, I, you've got Call of Duty to play now and it's not going to take you too long. So, you know, one thing at a time, do Call of Duty first. Fair enough, that's what we should, we should do. But it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting idea. I mean, this it's not the first time time loop games have been done. I think we talked about Deathloop 
which is yeah. sort of an assassination game right back at the start of this podcast and that's an excellent game which just came to xbox games pass so if you've got xbox game pass i'd, I'd encourage you to check it out as well and the playstation but this is it's definitely gentler the outer wilds it's not you know killing and violence and all the rest of it it's purely exploration and puzzle solving more in the sort of portal route than, than the call of duty route i'd say that's my kind of game i think i quite i do enjoy a game like, yep. like that Good. Okay. This I was swithering whether I put this in news or here in games, but I thought it would be interesting to talk about Google killing off their Stadia. I don't know about you, but I'd forgotten they had a Stadia product. I know they made quite a bit of noise about it. They made a controller. Sounded great when they released it. Not surprised they're killing it off. I am surprised they are refunding everybody their money, though. Like, fair play. That's quite a bold move. Yeah, so to be clear to those that, as explainer-in-chief, Google Stadia was a streaming service where you bought a controller, you could play it on any Chrome computer device, you could play it on Android TV, you could play it anywhere like that as long as you had the controller. The controller synced to your Google device or your laptop or whatever it was only for the Stadia, and then you could buy a AAA game and not need a massive graphics card in your machine or something to play it. It would all be run on the server farm for Google. Google are good at streaming stuff. Google are good at that kind of stuff. And you could buy games via Google Stadia and play them. There was a monthly fee for accessing the service and then you'd buy games as well. And it's lasted two and a half years, three years, something like that. And never really took off, never really got the traction. You would have thought if ever a streaming service was going to do well, the pandemic would have been the perfect time to do it. People are sort of captive in, the, in their houses and, and getting on doing it. And even in the course of that, they failed to do it. So they're wrapping the service up. It's going to end at the end of the year. They've refunded everybody their money pretty much, as Chris has said, except for games you've bought. I, I think the monthly cost of refunding, but if you've bought a specific game to a publisher, you're not getting that back is my understanding. I will confirm that. Just as an additional story within this, that their controller is locked to the Stadia service. So there's a bit of a petition going on at the moment or a movement going on at the moment to get them to open up the controller. Because think of the e-waste. There's probably not that many Stadia controllers, frankly. But they could open up the controller to be used in other things. I believe it's quite a decent controller. Yeah, but given it given would be a refund, surely opening up the controller would complete the story. You know, if, if we've done the right, we've done it responsibly in the modern age. So I, I would agree with that petition. Yeah, I think it's fair enough. Like I say, it's a decent looking controller. It looks more like an Xbox controller than the PlayStation one. You can get them in black or white, sort of nice highlighting. I think it's quite well made, but... Yeah, it's it's a bit sad in a way. Yet another service Google's given up on. Are we really that surprised? Should they not stick to their core business? Serve me videos and search results. Job done. Yeah. Saying that, I don't use them for search results and I barely watch YouTube. So Google's not really in my life right now. Well, in the same way you bought your domain, I've started doing this. In the last week, I've actually bought a domain myself. I've gone to Fastmail for my mail provider. And I'm in the process of using one password and just removing all my emails and things from, from Gmail. I appreciate this is a long process. It'll probably take me three or four months to get to the point where it's usable. But I've decided to take a bit of a stand on it as well. And I'm, I've am i stopped using Google Photos. I'm going to remove all my photos from Google Photos. And I've, like, I've stopped using Gmail, which has been my primary email provider since about, oh gosh, 2002, 2003, whenever it came to the UK, I think. Yeah, I think you got me into Gmail when it came out. Yeah, it was Ben Deitch, if you remember Ben Deitch, that got me into it. Wow, okay, here we are going back now to university days. Hi, Ben, if you're listening. Anyway, so that's um, that's maybe a story I'll, say, I'll save for another day, talking about how I did the fast mail transfer to a new domain and all the rest of it, because I know you did it with the Google one, so that would be an interesting story to compare for you know, buying a domain, sorting out the email thing to it. My experience of fast mail as a host and you know, getting my custom domain set up and all the rest of it, that was interesting. Okay, yeah, let's, well, let, let's put that on the homework pile and we, we do a bit more of a 
a review on that because I haven't converted my wife's yet and I need to do that. So we can maybe share, share some scars. Yeah, we could talk about some costs as well because that's, that's part of it as well. Anyway, I think that'll do us for games and we can move on to the main show. Yeah, so we, I, I really is, this could be a follow-up as well, I guess, in that we were just going to circle back on where we got to in note-taking. It's obviously tangentially linked to the Amazon Scribe that's been announced. So I haven't quite worked out where I am with the Amazon Scribe, whether I want to give it a go. But let me just explain where I've ended up on taking notes. So you and I spoke, I think about three weeks ago, maybe four now, of how do we take notes? Because I was asking, I've got, I go to lots of meetings at work. So my meetings at work are largely on Teams, occasionally in person. And in those meetings, I need to just take notes of actions I've got to do, notes of things I might want to ask later, you know, when, when the meeting, you know, is a, a good good break in the meeting and I want to raise. Or I often fold over a page in my book for when I next meet with my line manager and I write down things I want to raise with him. And, and then when I meet with him, I can just run through my, my list, tick them off and take any actions from that meeting. So part of me wants to do this digitally. Past me wants me to do this on my notebook, but I've never really found something that I really stick to a lot, you know, really well and that really works. And it's kind of mixed with having a to-do list. I like to have a to-do list just to make sure I do things. Sometimes I find it works. I just send myself an email when I think of something that I need to do the next day. And it's nice and easy and convenient, but it's not really a great way of, of having a to-do list, is it? But I do work through my email and I try and run inbox zero. So while I've gone, after our meeting, I've gone away and I've tried out various things. So up until that point, I've largely been using a field notes notebook. So I've got two of them. I've got one for work-related activities and one for everything else. And I've got a little leather binder that they sell, which holds two notebooks and all your credit cards, which for me is fantastic because I don't actually have a wallet. So I have this binder with these two field notes in and a pen and all my credit cards. And that's been working really well for me. And after our our podcast, like I said, about three, four weeks ago, I went and researched various apps. I looked through loads and I basically ended up on GoodNotes, which is what I'd already previously used. And it is fantastic for handwritten notes. So you mentioned earlier in the show, a big part of your world is getting a PDF and annotating it. That is something I do not do one iota. It's just not, not for me. I just don't have that kind of job. Whereas my job is, like I said, attend a meeting, listen while somebody plays you a slide deck i don't often get the slide deck sent as a pre-read i normally just get it there and then i get and annoyingly i then get the slide deck afterwards whereas actually it probably would be better for most of my means to have it before but generally means i go to the slides aren't ready beforehand so for me it's just making notes as we go through and i don't make a lot of notes i don't write down every word they say but i'll write down interesting maybe they give me some interesting stats or figures or points and i just want to make a note and then like i said i'll write down any actions and questions so I think where I've ended up and I did try a bunch of apps. So I did try Nebo, which was probably the best one that I found, which does PDF annotations. It also does, you make a note and it converts it into searchable text from your own handwriting and you can do diagrams in it. And it was very good. And it, I, I think I bought it, it was like five pounds or something. So, so I just bought it and thought, I'm happy to spend a little bit of money in this space. So I ended up comparing Nebo Notes to Good Notes, and they were the two that really stuck. And I've got a spare iPad Mini, as I mentioned at the moment, and I was trying to make it work with that. But you know what? I just ended up using my physical notebook again because I just didn't want to have another device to carry around with me, which is why I was put off the Amazon Scribe, Kindle Scribe. And I got to my credit cards with me. They're my backup if a place won't take Apple Pay, for example. And it's got my driving license with it. And I just carry on with my little field notes. And I want something small to take to me and I can just make small notes because I don't do war and peace. I just need to take actions. And I still find it quite satisfying when you've done your action 
to strike through it. So that, that's where I've ended up, if I'm honest. So I've gone away, tried loads of apps. Nebo and GoodNotes, I think, are really good apps. I was very happy to part with some money for them, but they just didn't stick enough for me. And so therefore I've stuck with my physical notebook and it's quite light, doesn't take up any space. So that, that, that concludes it. So even though I like to be all digital, I still like to have a pen and a bit of paper. Yeah, I kind of get it. I think you need to do the thing that works for you. And if it's not working for you, for whatever reason, you not you know haven't embedded yourself in the app enough or it, does the one, it doesn't do the one thing you wanted to do or whatever, and you've still got that way of doing it on paper, which is the way you've come to, to, to manage these things from this point on, you do what's good for you. you know, I don't think that there's any management technique that says if it's just not working for you, it's not become sticky, then you're doing the wrong thing. You know, do, the, do what works for you. I mean, you can try and train yourself into another methodology or something. But again, you know, be it Pomodoro or be it getting things done or be it whatever it is, as these, as these means of dealing with the, the stuff that comes into not just your email inbox, but your inbox that is your life with everything that goes on at the same time. It's, it's working through that in some way that works for you. For you, that's obviously paper notes. You know, until a good, a good enough electronic system comes along. And I don't think chasing the Amazon scribe or chasing, you know, the, these other various devices are necessarily the right thing. It's just the thing that makes it sticky for you that you've got to get your head around. I think I just really want to have a go on one of them. That's, I think I need to get that out of my system. And maybe Amazon is my work route because they're a tins policy. But also what I found that with the iPad, having the iPad mini, and I was just using it for notes, it's just another device I've got to keep it updated. What happens when it hasn't got internet connectivity and stuff? And it was just like, I just don't need another device. And I was really trying to get down to when I go on a trip to London, can I just take my main iPad with a keyboard and my phone and my notebook? And that's all I need. And it is nice sometimes to sit in a cafe with your notebook and just think about what you want to do. No, it's nice to get away from notifications and just think about your notes. So I think I'm going to stick with the paper-based notebook. That's where I end up. How did, how did you go? So I've tried good notes before and I quite liked, but it didn't stick with me for whatever reason. It, it was okay. I, I found it quite awkward to add more pages and I'd lose things in, in when I was drawing them or note taking them so I didn't revisit that I remember the sort of the unfortunate time I had with it before and it's not what I'm after I want something I can type into and make the odd annotation to it rather than taking all my notes with a pencil so I tried obsidian which is a markdown based editor where you can just sort of break out into new things and it's sort of very hyperlinked you can sort of link between notebooks and as ideas occur to you because you don't most people don't think in an organic way where you go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, they go A, oh, that reminds me of Z. And, you know, you immediately jump to some other part of your brain and it tries to accommodate that way of thinking, which is novel. And I quite like that, but actually that didn't really work for me either. And I've tried to make myself use Obsidian over the last three weeks. And for a while I was getting on quite well, but what I found myself doing more and more and more was just firing up Apple Notes because it syncs well and it's on my computer and I can type to it. And and because it's there and that's kind of become the sticky thing for me is that if it is a quick URL or it is a quick note or something like that, that's what I fire up first. And I think the distinction between the way you and I work is I've forced myself to use TickTick as a, as a to-do app. So whenever there's something actionable that I've got to do, I put it in TickTick. I've got my keyboard shortcut and my Mac sorted out. I bring that up. I add the task in. I can put a date. I can put today, next week, you know, 13 days time, six hours time. I can tag things, be at work or be at home, whatever context I'm in at the time. And that's my to-do list. Whereas my notes, despite me trying my best to make use of Obsidian, actually go into Apple Notes. And that's kind of where I've fallen down again is that I'm on Apple Notes for that. I'm on TickTick for putting in my to-dos and things. It did take a bit of effort to make me use TickTick. Because I've tried lots of to-do apps in the past, including Apple's own Reminders app, which is you know the same sort of thing. 
but not executed quite so well. This one I've made, I forced myself to put, for it to become sticky in the thing that I like. There is a paid version of it. I use the free version of it. I don't need anything that's in the paid for thing. I feel I should chuck them some money just because I have made it part of my routine now. So that's the do and my notes. And then there's a third thing that you talked about there, which is a reasonable amount of my job is being sent papers, reviewing them, you know, suggestions, modifications, changes as comments, because quite often you'll get a PDF document rather than a Word document in an almost final paper that, you, th you know, and then you're still noticing problems with it. So that markup of PDFs does feel very natural to me with a pencil, an Apple Pencil in my hand on the iPad. It's actually one of the few things that I prefer to do on my iPad than sit out in front of my Mac. So for that, I make use of apologies if you can hear my dog barking in the background. I use PDF Expert, which there is a paid for version again, but the free version does absolutely everything I need to do where you can highlight bits of text, you can copy and paste the text, and you can make little annotations as you go. And I know you can do that in Preview and Apple devices as well, but it just feels more natural in PDF Expert. So that's my three things really, and there'll be links in the show notes. PDF Expert, Apple Notes, and TickTick. You still didn't get a preview on an iPad, by the way. No, you don't do. You do get a PDF viewer, but it's not preview, is it? No, and it's and Apple have got much better at it, but it's one of those things that's still a hangover of the two systems. And I'm a surprise, really, because, I don't know, it feels like we are getting to a place where you have everything everywhere. And I'm glad they're doing it, but I don't know, preview seems one of those odd things that is such a good app, a toolbox app on your Mac, that it's weird that it hasn't come over to the iPad. Yeah, it's such a Swiss Army knife of a thing, preview. Even doing things like, and I have got Pixelmator Pro on my on my Mac, when you take photos with your iPhone and it serves, I can't remember if it's Heath or Heek, the, the, whichever one the phone, let's say Heath. That was on the talk show this week. Was it? Do, pe do people say the letters or do they say it like, you know, do they say it as a word, but have no no good answer came. Anyway, it's a compression format for videos and and, and photos that Apple use. If you, it's not quite raw. It's not quite JPEG. It's their own thing that's meant to be more space uh, efficient. But often, if you send yourself a picture from your phone direct to your Mac, which I guess you don't do so much with an iPad, it stores it as heath for heek, and then you need to convert it. It's a complete pain that immediately you need to convert it to turn it into a JPEG or a PNG or something like that to send on to somebody else. What do you use for that? You use Preview, and you can batch things in Preview as well. And then the other thing I use Preview for is signatures. So if you ever need to put a signature on a, on a document, that's built in. It's remembered my signature from years ago, and I can just go up to the tools menu and bang a signature in. And I'd miss that on an iPad. You know, we've talked about you know using an iPad a bit more than has been before, and I'd really miss that sort of functionality on an iPad. Yeah, sorry, I was just thinking whilst you were talking that if you go into camera, you can actually set it so that it will still do JPEGs because it's more compatible. But obviously, it would take up a lot more space. Well, this is it. I'm not that mad keen on fiddling around with the defaults that, that the camera and I suppose I probably could, but I pr I'm presuming, other than the taking up spaces, Heath gives me a little bit more than, than JPEG does, in the same way that RAW gives you more than JPEG does. I would have thought there'd be more things, I don't know, actually, does it capture a higher level of detail? To reduce file size, capture photos and videos in high-efficiency Heath, H-E-V-C format, most compatible will always use JPEG, H.264, but 4K at 60 frames per second and 1080p at 240 frames per second require high efficiency. So I don't know, but I thought there might be an option, like in photos, when sharing, share as a JPEG kind of thing. But I just, because I'm only on my iOS devices, I just let it sort itself out. doesn't always work. I have sent people heaths or heeks by mistake before now. So it's just one of those things you keep need to keep an eye on living this multi-format lifestyle as we do. 
Yeah, I must confess that one thing I have done this week is I got rid of my old iPhone. I've got rid of my iPad mini. I've wiped them. I've uninstalled or signed out of messages on my Mac. So I've actually got very few devices signed into stuff. It's actually quite liberating in a way. You've got a family. You don't pass these things down through the family, no? Sorry, well, the iPhone's going to a father-in-law. The iPad mini, I've sat on it for a minute because I don't know whether one of my kids would like it. But then if I give it to one kid, the other kid will go, where's my iPad mini? Because it looks new and cool. So I've kind of just dragged my heels on it. But no, I have passed them on. But what I more mean, though, is it's quite liberating not to have more and more devices to maintain, keep up to date, have signed into stuff, need to download things. So I found that, that quite, yeah, quite a nice place to be. But I did sign out messages on my Mac because my iPad wasn't like, it seemed to be reading messages from my wife. They were just coming up as read. And she was like, oh, did you see a message? And I was like, no, I haven't seen it. And she was, but it says you've read it. And I was like, I haven't seen it. <laughs> and I was just getting a bit confused of where in the chain is that happening? Is it my watch? Is it my phone? Is it my iPad? Is it my other iPad? Is it my Mac? And I thought, actually, I'm barely using the other iPad and I don't really use the Mac. So I've started actually just reducing down the number of things on my iCloud account because I just don't need them. Fair enough. No, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It is interesting to look through the devices Apple still thinks you have from time to time. It's, uh, I'm usually quite good at clearing that down, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, it's an important thing. I had a laptop stolen in 2015 from my office at work. I've moved offices since we're in a far more secure one. And I've never unselected that particular Mac just in case it shows up on a Wi-Fi network somewhere at some point so I can get them. Yeah, you never know. You never know. I think it's probably passed it by now. And it was... I can't, oh, I can't even remember the name of the thing. The gatekeepers, the Windows one. What's the Mac one that to the encry- file encryption? But oh. file vault. File vault. So I had file vault turned on all. So there's no way they were getting anything out of it. It was it's deeply encrypted as well as everything else that was going on with it. So good luck with that. Yeah, interesting. So I think that concludes us for notes then. In that, it feels like we're both largely doing what we were doing before. <laughs> to a degree but at least we've gone and had a look just to see what's out there it's fun to see what's out there but like i say i think once you're kind of embedded in a way of doing things it takes major change to get you to move i think that's the thing you've really got to commit to it and in essence take away what you're doing before i find that with habits on my iphone sometimes i need to just take the app off my iphone if i'm going to stop using it but one thing i should just give an honorable mention to is things it's a to-do app and you can take notes on it but it's always really good at adopting the latest apple technologies and i am interested to see where 16.1 goes with the ipad os will we get a new update of various apps so i'm curious to see if that brings anything and i'll probably go and have another play fair enough Good. Okay. We can finish tonight then. I was just going to talk a little bit more about my AirPods Pro 2 because I'd only had them a couple of hours, I think, when we spoke last week. So just to give sort of an update on that, really. So the design first, the case, as I talked about last time, is slightly different. It comes with a speaker now. It has fixed a thing that you and I have whinged about before, where when it's running out of charge, it actually chirps at you when you take it out of your, if you're down at sort of 20% charge, you put your AirPods back in the case, it chirps. It tells me that the the, 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 the the charge in the case is not, is getting a bit low. That's really nice. That's fantastic. I would like that because I've noticed more and more I'm running out of battery of mine and it just needs 10 minutes on the MagSafe charger. But So, so I think that's a good feature. Yeah, so and this is just a design thing. Having that speaker on it so you can use it for find my devices and this chirp when it's running low on, ba- on power. Seems a bit thirsty on power, actually, so I'm going to keep an eye on it. Seems to be a little bit on the thirsty side. Another uh, iOS device or uh, Apple device that seems a bit hard. There is definitely a theme here. Yeah, there is. 
So it's got that, and then it's got the, on the other side, it's got this little connector for a lanyard, and I'm never going to use this device with a lanyard on it. I'm not going to put it around my wrist and walk along with it. I can't imagine any circumstance in which you would, actually, because I think I'd be too worried about the door flying open and the earpods flying out, unless they're in your head. But it actually serves as an antenna as well for the for the, for the Find My antenna, the Bluetooth antenna when you're using it. So it's actually quite a good bit of design, that. And then... You can stick it on multiple things to charge. So it will charge on your MagSafe devices. It will charge on your Apple Watch. And it's actually quite sticky. The magnet in the back for putting on the Apple Watch thing actually seems a little bit stronger than the one for the Apple Watch. So I quite like the versatility of that. Potentially, you know, if your watch is charged, you can stick your AirPods on it and that will charge. I think they've done a quite a good job with that. I still haven't got as our USB-C bell, and I will from when we mention it. It would have been better with USB-C, but I can live with the fact that it's lightning. Having the additional flexibility of these things is good. And then I touched on this last week, the actual physical construction of the hinge on the door for when you open up to pop your AirPods out is definitely better. There's a lot less given it. It feels slightly better put together there. So I'd say overall, the case at least, is far better designed, definitely better thought through. Three years have passed, I think, since the AirPods came out and just the externals of it are a fairly solid uh, update. Moving on to the internals. The AirPods themselves don't feel massively different to the ones that came before them, you know, in terms of construction and all the rest of it. They've obviously got the spaces on them for volume up, volume down. That works really well too. It's very responsive to, you need to give one swipe up or one swipe down to increase the volume or decrease the volume by one notch, but you can do it rapidly. You could do three in a row and it will remember all three volume swipes. It's not getting lost. It doesn't feel slightly the old ones felt slightly laggy to me i mean you couldn't adjust the volume on them anyway but one of the things i did quite a lot was skip through adverts on podcasts again we're open to advertising if people anybody wants to sponsor this podcast we'll put an advert right here for you but if you double tapped one of the stems it would forward 30 seconds through the podcast and that sometimes you'd get lost in if i was trying to forward through a few things rapidly with it i'd end up pausing it a lot of the time, rather than it skipping forward. And I haven't had that with this. And the volume thing has been consistent too. You can do it with either AirPod and it works really well from that point of view. Looking at them, the only real change you can see is that the set there, are, this used to be sensors on the top of them. So when you take them out of your ears, it would stop playing. Quite often, if you'd hold it in between your hands, it would start playing again. And that seems better. I think, I think they're using a different kind of sensor on it. And there's two of them in a different location. So removing it from my ears, and just holding it while I'm talking to somebody, it doesn't immediately start playing again, which is a real problem I used to have with the old ones. Yeah, everything you said, I think I agree with. I have the same problem with mine. It's quite interesting, actually, how much, how many improvements we've got. And I wonder if it's actually we've got two generations worth of improvements because they didn't do a release in the middle, which they could have easily done, like a version two, 18 months ago. Because as you were talking about the case, I was thinking, have they done more engineering on the case than they've done on the AirPods? But actually, it feels like they've engineered both. I do find it weird, and you were holding up your AirPods case just then, there's a little silver bit on it for where the lanyard goes. I just think it looks a bit messy. I think it would look better if it was just a little white two-hole cutout, but that's just me. I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure how much I would use it, or if ever, because the only thing I wouldn't mind using it for maybe is you hook it on your bag so you don't lose them. But then I always keep them in my pocket. They've kind of taken the place of my wallet or my car keys because I use my watch as my wallet and my car keys now. So I think they look great. I do actually really want a pair. I use mine so much, but I'm holding off because I think it'll be a good Christmas present for somebody to get me because usually I get to Christmas and there's nothing I want because I've bought everything I wanted. So I'm, I'm trying to be good, but they sound fantastic. And on that, is the sound actually better because yeah. there is a lot of talk about it? Yeah, they literally sound fantastic. The 
bass, I found the bass on the previous ones quite muddy and things would get lost. I mean, I'm not an audiophile. I've got tinnitus from years of motorcycle riding. But I, I hear the difference in sounds for these. It's just a lot more consistent. And even before you get there, the fit, they've given this one size, I think it's one size slightly up and one size down for the, the, the tips that come with them. They fit my ear an awful lot better. I've passed the fit test on the largest ones this time, which I didn't last time. So left and right ear, it plays a little tune. It checks to see if the sound leaking. I think it uses those microphones on the outside or sensors on the outside to see if the sound is leaking out of your ears onto them. I've passed it. So the seal you get, certainly in my ears, is a lot better than it was before. And I think they've definitely gone down the other way. There's much smaller tips than there were before. So even if you've got very small ears, these will fit in you very well. But across the board, with none of the transparency or noise cancellation on, they sound better. They're a much, they're a noticeably better sounding set of, of headphones, earphones than they were before. So that's very impressive. I've been moving to talk about that, and there's sort of there's three modes with these things. There's off, which you've talked about, which gives you nice clear sound. It's fine to turn it off. It wasn't great before. In fact, I don't think I ever turned them off before. Whereas I actually did it this time to listen to what they'd sound like. There's adaptive transparency, and then there's full noise cancellation. So. Adaptive transparency, to talk about that first, was again not something I used. It was just transparency mode on the old ones. So if the cabin crew come along to talk to you, you can actually hear them properly announcing things as you go by. That was the point of that on the previous generations of them. Now, that works. It's it's almost magical, frankly, the adaptive transparency. is how well that integrates with your music and what's going on around you. Now, Marquez Brownlee did a review of these, and he was recommending the adaptive transparency is so good, it actually quietens louder sounds around you and reduces the volume of them. So you could wear them to a very loud concert or something like that. And it would actually be safe. Now, I don't think that's right. You know, you're not actually, it's not removing the sounds to that degree. It may quieten things a little bit, but I don't think you're gonna save your hearing in any way by wearing these to a concert. Wear earplugs if you go to a very loud concert. You know, tinnitus isn't a thing that goes away. I speak from experience, but it is extremely good, this adaptive transparency for reducing noises to a certain degree around you, certainly beyond what the old ones were capable of but actually keeping the music very present with what else is going on around you. So it does reduce noises to a certain extent, but also accentuates the ones you need to hear. It's a really impressive thing, frankly. So that's blown me away. And just as an aside, in the latest version of, of iOS 16.1, they've brought this adaptive transparency to the older versions of the AirPods too. Now, whether they meant to do that, I don't know, but it might be worth it for those with older AirPods and so when they're on the 16.1 beta, installing the latest ones and seeing if you get that adaptive transparency there too. Yeah, so I had seen that 16.1 public beta had brought adaptive transparency to my generation. But what I found interesting was I'd forgotten it was called adaptive transparency. I just thought it was just the new version of transparency. But they've obviously clearly done a lot of work on it and have rebranded it accordingly. So, And I'm surprised that they brought it to the original AirPods because normally that's a reason to get it to upsell. But I'm guessing everybody that wants them is going to buy them anyway because their current AirPods are going to be so old. So I, I think they look fantastic. Like I say, I'm definitely keen to say the least to purchase some, but yeah, I've bought a lot of equipment lately, so I don't, don't think I need to buy any more. And I'm kind of hoping that Apple don't release an iPad Pro in, in the potential October event press release because I don't think I need to spend any more money right now. Fair enough. I'm going to finish my mini review by just talking about the actual tra uh, the actual noise cancellation, which is immense, actually. The, the noise cancellation was good on the last AirPods, and part of the reason it wasn't better, I assumed, was because, I, like I say, I failed the fit test. The noise cancellation on these is, again, astounding. You know, when I go for a walk on the beach, I can't hear the waves anymore. That kind of sort of intermittent high, then low pitch noises. It was quite bad at cutting that. It was all right with 
jet engines or or train tracks or stuff like that it could it could cancel those out reasonably well this removes them entirely i went for a walk around the park earlier i didn't hear anybody else's voices i didn't hear any dogs barking i didn't hear anything like that all i heard was my music and again that's really quite an achievement for you know a little pair of earpods so i'm extremely impressed with these things i think it's once again one of the best apple devices i've ever bought and they just keep getting better so yeah if you if you have the means i seriously suggest you pick some up Good Ferris Bueller quote there. I like it. Thank you. I did mow the lawn earlier, actually, and I wore my AirPods Pro. And I was like, oh, I forgot to get my AirPods Max because they really kill the sound of the lawnmower. And it's brilliant. And I don't need to turn up the volume to hear my podcast or music over the top of it. And I did notice my AirPods Pro were nowhere near as good. So I'm really keen to see if I mow the lawn with a pair of these, how much they have improved the experience. And I hopefully shouldn't need to turn up the sound of the podcast to compensate for the noise of the lawnmower because from what you said and the other reviewers that that should not be a thing yep yeah they're they're a good device and in fact i'm sure i read one thing this week that said the noise cancellation on the airpods pro 2 are better than they are on the max so there's, there's something there for you to find out maybe i love my airpods max i actually use them a lot more than i'd anticipated even though they're exceptionally expensive they are quite an expensive set of headphones brilliant i think we can call that a show chris yeah, I think, I think we're there, aren't we? That was good. Thanks, Rod. And uh, look, if anyone wants to get in contact with us, do drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Again, not a sponsor. I know we've mentioned ProtonMail a lot over the last 37 weeks. And you can also reach out on Twitter. And our username is WFS underscore podcast. I'd love to hear from anybody out there. Thank you, Rod. Talk to you next week. Cheers. Cheers.